0: You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple.
0: Welcome back to the show, ridiculous historians. Thank you as always so much for tuning in. Uh, this is this is a fun one. This is a neat one. Uh, my name is Ben.
1: My name is Noel. Ben, you know we only trade in fun. We don't do well, that's not true. There there, there have been the the odd Nazi-related <laughs> ones or horrible for things. Force sterilizations. Yeah. 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 Somehow they still manage. I mean, they are ridiculous. That, that maybe they go against the spirit of the show. But today's episode is squarely within the spirit of the show. Uh, because it's a really innocuous thing that we all know uh, some of us may be better at it than others, but uh, I don't think anyone has ever thought of a, a pinball machine as being like a tool of the devil.
0: <laughs> not, not in our modern day. No, that's, that's true. Uh Most of us these days associate pinball with kind of like a, uh, a retro vibe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The days mm-hmm. of arcades. And I've always been fascinated by them. I love them. Uh, growing up a uh, very eccentric neighbor family friend collected pinball machines for some reason that's
1: a cool flexi collector item there yeah
0: he had a barn like (laughs) the pinball barn he had Mm -hmm. a pinball barn yeah he had a (laughs) pinball barn and he had you know fixed it so that you didn't have to use quarters so to me this this guy was Kind of a demigod. It did not take much to impress me. Um, but Wait,
1: did you did you get regular entry into the pinball bar in Ben?
0: Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Dang, that's entry. like a child's dream come true, dude. What a cool neighbor.
0: He was a cool guy. He was he was a cool, very. Very strange dude. But I guess that's a prerequisite for getting a pinball barn in the first place. Secret murderer, perhaps? Are their bodies buried beneath the pinball barn? I, You know, I, I don't know. But I thought the guy was so cool that if I had found that out in my head, being a cr- very creepy kid, it would have just made him cooler. <laughs> uh, but yeah. still not as cool as our super producer, Casey Pegram, who is here uh in, in uh digital personhood. Uh before we hopped on the show, Casey Casey said, Look, I'm gonna hang back for a while because I, I, I just got lunch. So I'm <laughs> so One, You know, number
1: one favorite thing people love to hear on a podcast is somebody chewing into the mic.
0: (laughs) Mouth sounds (laughs) with Casey Pegram. We have a... There was a podcast that came out. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the features, one of the things they talked about was leaving those sounds in. Mm. I don't know about you all, but I, I have a a little bit of misophonia I think we all do with certain sounds Mm -hmm. but in Casey I didn't mean to blow up your spot I just love the idea the fact that Noel and I are the lunchtime entertainment so we're going to do our best (laughs) we're going to do our best to regale you Uh, you guys
1: are very snackable (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, try try the veal we're here all week or at least for the next couple hours Um, you know I really last thing on the mouth sounds you guys um, there's this filter that we use or this suite of, of plugins for audio cleanup um, that has a mouth sound remover setting and it has this like uh hellraiser puzzle box button that no one should ever venture near where it filters out everything but the mouth sounds where you can hear just the mouth sounds that it filters out and it is nightmare fuel my friends let me tell you
0: that is terrifying i think i just had a a spontaneous waking nightmare about that what's (laughs) what's a nightmare when you're awake is it a daymare it's just life it's just life (laughs) There we go. That's (laughs) astute. Well, today we're going to talk about something uh, hopefully a little less dark, but we'll we'll see where it goes. So pinball, um, none of the three of us are uh, pinball prodigies, but I think we all enjoy the game and, and we all, you know, being roughly the same age, we have a similar kind of idea of what pinball is, but it might surprise you to know that once upon a time here in the good old U.S. of A., pinball was an enormously controversial thing.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, just just really quickly, uh, it, the, the origins of pinball come from a uh, French table game called Bagatelle, and the first ever pinball machine was patented in 1871, but it's not the ones we think of today with the little flippers and the little, you know, there's, there's a number of ways you can kind of make a pinball game more elaborate with uh, targets that you hit and little ways to sink the ball and double balls and all that stuff to blow up your score. Honestly, I never understand how to play a pinball Ball game. Like, I, it's always just a mystery to me. I'm just kind of like shooting it at whatever seems cool. But there are definitely people that very much know exactly how to get the perfect score on some of these specific pinball machines, which we'll get into in a bit. But those have things like flippers where you hit the buttons and you launch the ball with a plunger and it shoots the ball up into this kind of rampy encased in glass, you know, table. And then in this early version, it was more like what we think of today as maybe pachinko, where you're shooting the ball and then it's popping around on these little little pins, Mm -hmm. uh, hence pinball, I guess. And then it just falls into whatever hole, sort of like skee-ball or something, but it goes up to the top and then it bounces down. And that's still very much a thing with pachinko. not sure if it's exactly one-to-one, but it's very similar. But in 1947, that's when you started to see the uh, advent of the modern pinball machine where you had those flippers that we're talking about so you could actually kind of control where the ball went when it rolled back down that hill if it didn't go right down the middle which is like the bane of any pinball player's existence it goes to either the left or the right side you have the opportunity to keep the ball in play and and flip it around the table with those little flippy boys
0: Mm -hmm. and that pinball machine while we would consider it you know quote-unquote the modern pinball game uh it, it was still very different from what you would see in your average retro arcade today. You could try to tip or tilt the machine in your favor, but you were very much at the mercy of the random movements or bounce of the ball. And because of that element of chance, people started gambling on pinball games. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. anybody who's been to Vegas or Macau or something can assure you that some people will gamble on virtually anything but gambling on pinball was a cool like it was a cool happening thing to do people would get uh prizes uh all the way from like free games or you know the kind of stuff you would win at skee-ball play uh, chuck e cheese all the way up to pretty expensive stuff like fine china or jewelry and soon this affected The reputation of pinball. What we think of as like a fun, neat uh, arcade game was seen as this uh, machine built for iniquity that catered to like sleazebags, lowlifes and 'er ne'er-do-wells.
1: Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, the reason it's just the same way, like maybe video poker machines, you know, sort of skirt the law in some parts of the country where they can get away with it not being considered illegal gambling by like just handing out tickets or making things like an equivalent of like, you know, goods and services, I guess. But they don't actually give you cash. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was the deal with early pinball because, you know, gambling was uh, outlawed in, in 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 many places and um this was sort of a way around that but like you said ben um in chicago in particular uh pinball machines started getting associated with organized crime uh because chicago as we know was a massive you know sort of uh hub of mob um and gangster activity and these machines were cash-based and it became kind of like a, a, a way to make a quick buck um, by criminals. And they'd be in these back rooms and these kind of illegal gambling parlors.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was easy to make a lot of money at scale. Like if you were organized uh, an organized crime ring and you wanted that income stream, pinball would be a great thing to hop onto. I mean, think about it. So gambling, we would ordinarily think of things like card games, but with these Gaming machines were coin operated. The players did not have to know the rules, like a lot of us don't for pinball. And the, you mm-hmm. know, full disclosure, I have no idea what's going on when I when I pull that plunger. I'm just holding on. <laughs> and the uh, unlike a um, a card game, like a mid to high stakes poker game or something, you didn't have to have much money at all to play pinball. And now we see pinball as entertainment, but back then it was just seen as almost like another kind of slot machine, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, it's pretty cool. Uh, in the research for this, uh, Gabe, um, our research associate extraordinaire, uh, stumbled upon a fantastic article from the uh, Portland Mercury that quotes a, guy, a friend of the the show and the network, a guy that I've worked with on a podcast called Murder in Oregon, a gentleman by the name of Phil Stanford, who wrote a book called Portland Confidential. And it was all about just kind of how Portland has this reputation of being this sort of shining liberal bastion on it. A- Hill, but it actually has has been a a, a place rife with corruption for a very long time, and that's what Murder in Oregon's about. But he specifically talks about, um, in an interview he did with uh, the Portland Mercury, about how Pinball machines were kind of seen as a gateway uh, to gambling, to like more heavy gambling the way marijuana is today. And he says, quote, the people who wanted to get rid of slot machines went after pinball machines too, much in the same way that law enforcement goes after marijuana. Um, so it was kind of perceived as being a gateway into more heavy vices and, and types of gambling.
0: It reminds me of that, uh, oh, where is that song from the musical uh, Trouble? it's all about playing pool
1: oh that's the music man
0: music man where we're in the yeah. knickerbockers trouble
1: yeah well the capital t that rhymes with p, p that stands for pool, pool. <laughs>
0: yeah. i love that seth mcfarland from family guy has a great cover of that which was yeah he sure does weird but but you're you're absolutely right it was it was seen kind of as a, a gateway to gambling and to wickedness and sin and Part of this public perception, I think, came about because people who were teetotalers during the age of prohibition needed something else to focus on. Yeah. So we know that like, we know that law enforcement in Portland, Chicago, other places had always kind of given pinball the side eye because they knew it was connected to gambling. Uh, churches, school boards also said, you know, this is making your kids bad. It seems like fun, but little Johnny's going to steal a nickel, and next thing you know, he's going to hold up a bank. They're skipping school. Uh, they're going to go hungry. These kids are starving to death because they keep mm-hmm. putting their money into uh, the devil's balls. No, Whoa. I'm just making things up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, it's true. Um, and uh, this i don't know alice Obscura has a great article about this called the war on pinball and they uh categorized these folks um these anti-fun types as crusading do-gooders which i love because you're right ben they they needed something else to spoil people's good times with and and this was what it was uh and so it did lead this outcry and this you know this rallying around pinball being this sort of like you know doorway to iniquity led to pinball being banned in a lot of cities especially New York, and that's specifically because New York had this mayor who you've probably heard of. He's uh, got a pretty big airport named after him, uh, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia. Um, he was a massive uh, anti pinball guy yeah, he hated the game and uh, in 1933 he came into office with this anti-crime anti-mob kind of you know platform and he has this great quote where he he self-proclaimedly wanted to quote drive the bums out of town
0: yeah he got rid of the illegal slot machines and quite a few of them dumped into the hudson river in 1935 just after he's elected to let The public and the mafia know that he meant business. And so mobsters replaced the slot machines with pinball machines. And he was like, you're not getting past me. As a matter of fact, in free for all news, we have a great quote from LaGuardia where he says the Pinball Machine Racket is a direct outgrowth of the Slot Machine Racket, and as was the case with its evil parents, is dominated by interest heavily tainted with criminality. There is no difference between the two rackets other than the more subtle and furtive methods of robbing the public. It's $20 million profits taken from the pockets of school children in the form of nickels and dimes given to them as lunch money. Like, this was his passion project, almost.
1: Yeah, and it's because, like we were saying earlier, I mean, gambling was illegal. These slot machines were illegal. And because pinball machines sort of occupied this gray area, um, but kids were allowed to play them, but they had, like, a payout you could win um, by, you know, dumping all your nickels in, you know, your lunch money or whatever. Um, God forbid the bullies that, like, you know, beat up other kids (laughs) to steal their nickels and dimes, You you know, that image, classic image of, like, the bully kid holding the kid up by his ankles and shaking him until all his nickels fell out. That's what I'm picturing and then just scooping all that up and going right to the arcade. Um you know, and and those kids are already on a on a very uh, dire path to criminality. So this is just enforcing that. Um and and LaGuardia wasn't standing for it. Um you're right, Ben, he uh, had already had the slot machines dumped in the river and next he had his sights set on these sort of de facto gambling
0: machines. And as if that uh, moral panic angle wasn't enough to get people on his side, just in case, they also started. Laguardia and his team also started rolling out anti-pinball statements uh, in a very weird flex when the Japanese military at the time bombed Pearl Harbor, nineteen forty-one, December seventh. Mayor Laguardia went patriotic with it. It was like, not only is pinball morally terrible and the cause of starving children and criminals, but uh, but also it's a waste of America's valuable resources. We're wasting copper, aluminum and nickel making these devil ball machines when when we could be sending that to our, our boys on the front lines
1: right to make guns and and bullets and weapons of war (laughs)
0: right (laughs) which is so much better for the world
1: i do love too that he referred to the pinball machines as insidious nickel stealers which (laughs) i think that should be the name of a sports team or i don't know maybe a, a band or maybe a comedy troupe
0: who knows This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in. And then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know
1: also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo,
0: Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about
1: to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self care products um, richly lathering, skin softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often
0: wondered. Only well, you know, you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set
1: for just $3 at harrys.com slash history.
0: Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch?
0: So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe
1: that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online. And by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So LaGuardia had the city council on his side. He had public opinion on his side because he'd done such a good job at um, making the case for this and tying it to our precious resources. And as we know, during this time, like it was important to be able to you know, fund the war effort. And it was easy because patriotism was rampant after an event like the bombing of Pearl Harbor, an attack on you know, American soil. We have to do everything we can, you know, pull in together to defeat this enemy, this common enemy. And so he got the city council to approve a ban on pinball machines in public places, Um, even ones that didn't uh, use the payout system or any kind of, you know, even like whiff of gambling, that just the machines themselves were enough because they were a waste of time. Uh, They were breeding this idea of criminality. They were a gateway into more serious gambling and uh, they were a waste of materials.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when... LaGuardia and various police chiefs got together with the press and smashed pinball machines with sledgehammers. They put their money where their mouth was. You know, they dumped this stuff into barges bound for Long Island Sound. And just like that mental floss article we referenced earlier mentions, uh, the New York Times got a hold of this headline and they noted that cutting down pinball manufacturing, at least, was making a meaningful contribution to the war effort. The military got 10,000 pounds of scrap metal, courtesy of pinball machines. And that was enough, if you did the math, to make four 2,000-pound bombs, it, it's very—it's the opposite of swords to plowshares, really.
1: It super is, and I love this little uh, little nugget here uh, from Mental Floss and how Pearl Harbor led uh, to the war on pinball. You know how pinball machines have those like legs? It's like a, a table, mm. and then they have these legs, and you could presumably—they're probably not welded on; they're probably screwed on in some way. And you know, there's four of them, and they used each of those four legs for pinball machines uh, to, to make them into billy clubs uh, for police. So it's yeah, it's very interesting uh, dynamic here. So Laguardia is leading this, you know, war on pinball single-handedly. You know, it's like the the war on Christmas. Only it's uh, no, it's not a good uh, comparison at all. Forget I said anything, but it's true. He uh, essentially had successfully had pinball banned. It was really portrayed as being this menace. And then places soon followed suit, like major cities around the the country, like California, Chicago, which is actually where a lot of the pinball machines were manufactured. I didn't realize that. Uh, And laws uh, went on the books that either outright banned or limited the use of pinball machines to certain places.
0: Yeah, they were really they were really cracking down. Uh let's see what was it? Uh Los Angeles, New Orleans, Chicago, Milwaukee. They followed New York's lead in banning pinball as much as possible. Some other cities started to heavily regulate it. Like if you are a kid and you're uh supposed to be in school, you can't be found playing pinball during school hours. And that's why all of a sudden like the counterculture embraces pinball the the mm-hmm. rebels without a cause, you know they've got the leather jackets, the cigarettes rolled up in the short sleeve t shirt uh greaser pompadours and and they've got the pinball fever there's <laughs>
1: bunch of low-life layabouts if you ask me no uh but that's certainly the way they were seen uh by the folks that were against this this whole thing Uh, i do want to point out something that i think is interesting it's always interesting to hear how washington dc uh throughout history has maintained sort of like a pretty progressive approach uh, you know being one of the first places to legalize marijuana when you think of it as being like the seat of government but it always has been super progressive and washington dc was one of the places that didn't outright ban pinball playing um but they just did what you said ben they limited it and made sure that kids couldn't be found playing them at school but i also think that's sort of like aren't isn't aren't kids not supposed to be caught out of school period does that just like add to the badness of the of the behavior it give them like a another strike i don't know how
0: that works yeah is it one of those tricky things like uh, in areas where marijuana is decriminalized is getting a ticket for it up to the discretion of the officer what happens when they're out for summer could a, a mean uh <laughs> i don't know what i said mean but could like a crotchety uh law enforcement agent have prosecuted a kid anyway because they would have been in school if school was happening i don't know
1: yeah like officer krupke you know like right. wasn't he from greece doesn't they say officer krupke krup you <laughs> yeah, you because know, the, the, the the greaser boys no maybe, yeah it is grease it's a whole song and he's he's like the kind of like you know old school square beat cop that doesn't understand the the, the these crazy kids and their greaser ways and their pinball planet <laughs> proclivities
0: there, there's something weird here though i don't know this is one thing that fascinates me about history because we'll we'll never know Uh, the thoughts of the anti-pinball crowd on this, but it seems like all the restrictions that they put into place in cities across the U S played a big role in, at least temporarily turning pinball into exactly what they were afraid it would be. You know what I mean? Because now, now that the game is moving increasingly, off of main street it it's starting to pop up in seedier places and you're finding it in sex shops uh and and Hollywood picks this up and it puts it in the zeitgeist of mass media if you saw a rebellious character in a film in you know the 40s or 50s or something then the quick way to establish them as a as a seedy uh Untrustworthy person was to just have a scene in there where they're hanging out around a pinball machine, they're playing a pinball machine, and then they're like, All right, you ready for the murder?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a very short walk from pinball to, to murder, <laughs> right. to, to homicide. I, I, I love that. And, then, you know, it's sort of like Reefer Madness, you know? It's this idea of creating this narrative around a thing that in and of itself is pretty innocuous, but when you start to, like, connect it to all these other elements and, and behaviors, people focus in on the thing, you know, as being like, oh, it's like, it, it, it's, it's like heavy metal music, like with Tipper Gore and all that stuff, you know, blaming... Marilyn manson for kids being basically just like m- moody brooding kids
0: yeah and this reputation continued for decades through the 50s and the 60s again the I, I really feel like the anti-pinball crowd shot themselves in the foot or they they've they tilted their own machine i should say because they created a self-fulfilling prophecy. They turned pinball into the thing they feared it always was. So the flipper comes out. We talked about that in the invention of pinball. The flipper comes out, and now the game is no longer just a pull-the-plunger game of chance. Now it is a test of reflexes, and if you practice, you can become better. So pinball becomes a skill. Even though people, I think... Grew a little less hot headed about the connection to gambling in the 1950s and a lot of that having to do with the flipper turning pinball into a game of skill nationwide if you asked the average US resident at the time they would still be kind of like oh, pinballs naughty. What well, do you know? Pinball's naughty. You definitely don't want your daughter in a pinball hall, mm-hmm. which is a phrase I made up.
1: May as well have been an opium den, you right. know, for all intents and purposes. Ben, really quickly, when did the flipper come out again? This I know. This like sort of like made it harder to gamble with because it then became more of a game of skill. What year was that?
0: Nineteen forty-seven.
1: Okay. So this really is like right on the cusp of the, the greaser culture, like right in that kind of like pocket of history. That's really interesting. So they weren't so much worried about robbing the children of their nickels. Well, they still could have been because it was a time suck. You know, it's sort of like a frivolous waste of, of money, but with the gambling part removed, at least it was a little more accepted uh, legally, but it still had kind of a bad rap, right? Mm-hmm. Is that about But where we're at?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, history doesn't always repeat, but it certainly has a rhyming structure to it, right? So, so a lot of the uh, arguments, especially the more sensationalistic ones against pinball and against children playing pinball, feel like they're exactly the same as other later arguments about video games. Like, yeah, I get it. I have a PlayStation. I know it's a time vampire. <laughs> I, I, I understand that. Uh, but they were they were being alarmist. There was still this kind of moral panic And uh, in fact, this became part of a political strategy used against John F. Kennedy himself during the 1960 presidential election. Kennedy was a Democrat and Republican operatives, his opponents, uh, leaked a group photograph of Kennedy and some friends. And uh, he is at a he is with someone who's the silent partner in an Indiana pinball business.
1: Gasp! <laughs> horror! Oh, the horror! Yeah, and and this was used like you know as as a compromise. <laughs> against him essentially right as though they had like a sex tape or something think about what goes down as like you know smear campaign stuff today this is so tame it 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 makes me laugh i I yearn for the years when a picture with a pinball machine was enough to get you out of a race
0: yeah yeah i could see the i could hear the conversation in households across america where they're like well you know kennedy's kennedy comes from a bootlegging family and he's a papist and a pinballer I hear, a pinballer, God forbid.
1: Yeah, and, and tangentially, this is just interesting. Um, there was a guy named Jim Garrison, who was the district attorney of Orleans Parish, who was like a kind of Kennedy conspiracy truther. and he actually was indicted in 1971, um, suspected and uh, convicted of accepting bribes to protect illegal pinball gaming in New Orleans, but he was he was found not guilty.
0: Yeah, what we're saying is pinball was a big deal. It's tough to parse this because the truth of the matter is, yes, pinball was part of the world of gambling and the world of organized crime for a time. It itself was just not an inherently uh, sinful, wicked thing. It wasn't a vice. But wait, you're saying, how on earth did pinball go from being like visual shorthand of a of a bad character in film uh, to something that's seen as like cute, even somewhat kitschy today. That that switch occurs in the 1970s uh, for a couple of reasons. I believe it was 1974. The uh, Supreme Court in California apparently was having a, a, a slow day, uh, they ruled that <laughs> pinball was officially more a game of skill than chance, and therefore it did not qualify as a, a gambling device. So it, this overturned the prohibition of pinball in Los Angeles.
1: Very cool. Big win for pinball there. And then, perfect timing, uh, about five years later, the zeitgeist really caught up with pinball um, in a big way. Everyone knows the Who's uh, rock opera Tommy about a pinball wizard, uh, the titular character of the famous Who song. Pinball Wizard, Um, and I love it. There's a there's a line in the movie or in the song. Maybe I've never fully known all the lyrics to the song, but apparently he's uh, described as having crazy flipper fingers. And in the film, he's played by Elton John. He's wearing these amazing platform shoes, super glam, and it takes uh, pinball out of the realm of like you know no good nicks and into the realm of like glam rock, you know, superstardom. And kids ate it up.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that too. Do you think that there's a little bit of um a little bit of extra legitimacy because this was coming from the UK? You know what I mean?
1: Maybe. Yeah, that's certainly a good point. I mean, there was a certain mysticism applied to like, you know, British rock and and, and bands like The Who and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and all that stuff. Uh there were obviously American equivalents, sort of, but not. Not quite as as mystical and like, you know, um looming large in the zeitgeist to some of these British bands uh, that's very obviously kicked off with the Beatles and the British invasion and all of that. So it's a really good point,
0: so yeah, i'm I'm wondering if part of that goes back to the uh, <laughs> the longstanding American inferiority complex about British things like our story about the actors and the Shakespeare riots, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe that played some small role. But either way, putting the providence of Tommy aside, we know that it did exactly what you described, Noel. It put pinball a little bit further away from its seedy reputation of the past and a little bit closer to mainstream because Tommy was successful and people loved the musical. Who doesn't love a good musical? And then New York is... In uh, the midst of a bankruptcy crisis, yet again, that's one year later, that's 1976, uh, the city council said, hey, maybe we should get rid of that pinball ban because movie theaters, bars, hotels, they could all be making some serious coin, some literal serious coin. And uh, not everybody was on board. There was one councilman from Queens who said, look, it appears that pinball is innocent, but it will bring rampant vice and gambling back to the city so they had to they had to try to prove to everyone to the pinball skeptics that this was definitely no fooling a real game of skill this episode of ridiculous history is brought to you by uber teen introducing uber teen accounts an uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence, and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta, and today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way, uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See
3: app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
3: You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now. Specifically, when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah to the story of Nakba to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card.
1: Roger Sharp, um, this kid who—well, uh, I say kid, but he was an adult at this point. But he had learned to play pinball uh, very skillfully while he was in college um, on like black market pinball machines in New York, you know, because they were they were against the law. So he had to hone his skills in like these secret backroom pinball parlors or whatever. Um, and there's actually a book from 1977 uh, that he wrote called. Pinball! Exclamation mark! <laughs> um, and uh, he was a magazine editor by you know by day and a pinball wizard by by night because that's when you play pinball is at night. It's definitely a nighttime game. And on April second of nineteen seventy six, he uh, stood in front of a pinball machine in the New York City uh, Council Chambers and essentially demonstrated his skill in in, in on the machine and showing how he could win he could you know play better than other people uh, it's, it's as simple as that and he, he talked about hit some of his little tactics and I don't understand this fully I guess it's so he says if I pull the plunger back just right the ball will go down the center lane so he's explaining to like pinball noobs too, just trying to demystify the thing and show that uh, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show you have to bounce the ball around using those flippers and it's about aim and it's about trajectory and how far you pull the plunger back if you just pull it back a little bit it'll go as certain distance, etc. And he seems to make a pretty darn good case for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a really important thing that happens here. It's strange how history hinges on such small moments. The fact that Roger Sharp was able to, in front of people, predict where the ball would go based on his actions, the fact that he was able to do that was huge in persuading people that he wasn't just, you know, rolling the dice. We have to wonder what would have happened if he had whiffed it. If they had said, well, this Sharp kid is lying to us, sure. uh, then maybe there wouldn't have been an overturn of the ban. But when Sharp managed to accurately predict that shot he took, the council was persuaded. They got rid of that three-decade-long pinball ban And they were going to issue, I think it was a $50 licensing fee on every pinball machine in the city, which would bring them an estimated $1.5 million. So it also goes a long way to helping their bankruptcy crisis. It's nuts. Think a single single shot. And once New York rolls this out, again, it's kind of like marijuana. Remember, once Colorado was uh selling marijuana Mm we were making so much money off of it and it became easier for other parts of the country to uh to try to pursue the same thing just because they were following the money and that's what happened with a lot of other cities and it's it's not it's 19 it's just like the next year right 1977 chicago officially legalizes pinball imagine uh, I, I'm totally making this up. This is unfounded speculation. I don't know if we have a sound cue for that yet. But I, I just love the idea of like some uh, mafiosos sitting around in their local uh, their local restaurant or front business. They get the news about the pinball and they get up and they start like dancing and uh, and they roll out the machines from the back. Well,
1: you have to remember, too, this was like right uh, at the cusp of like arcade machines coming into into prominence, things like uh, Pac-Man and Space Invaders and Paperboy and all of those games that some of them are still a lot of fun and do require skill. Some of them have not aged well, but um, that was creating a demand for arcades. And with that, um, these kind of gussied up versions of the old school pinball machines that now had TV and movie tie ins like the ones we see today, like the Adam's Family pinball machine or Indiana Jones or whatever. Unclear as to how your playing of the pinball machine makes you feel participatory in any kind of movie plot line. They try. They try to force those little bits down your throat. But again, I never know. How do I do the thing? How do I like save the galaxy in the Guardians of the Galaxy pinball machine? But there's still a lot of fun. Um, And there absolutely are competitions. And I think there's like a pinball museum.
0: Yeah. Ben, didn't you go? Uh, I have not been to the museum. I think it's, is it in Vegas? Who went? Was it you, Casey? I think it was Ramsey. Yep, yep. One Mm -hmm. of our, uh, one of our, uh colleagues here uh, at Ridiculous History, a uh, great guy, Ramsey, went to the Pinball Machine Museum. I remember that because I, I was bummed that I wasn't able to make it. but uh, But it's still there, I think. You should be able to visit it. There's a great documentary on Netflix about the early days of these arcade games. Uh, That high score one that just popped up? um, That may be it, yeah. Yeah, Uh, it looks cool. The uh, creation of the early electronic-based games, right? Uh, And what's fascinating about this is at the same time pinball was gaining legitimacy, it was running up against these Electronic games, these digital games. And so you would go into an arcade and you would see this more analog pinball setup, but then you would also see video games. Uh, audiences loved both, by the way, but people who owned the arcades liked the electronic stuff because there were fewer repairs. They didn't take up as much floor space. You could pack right. more stuff in. And uh, that's why, you know, in the 21st century, pinball is becoming uh increasingly rare it's it's weirder and weirder to find a machine but i love a man it's like high speed putt putt on lsd i don't know what i'm doing you hit the right ball in the right place and it's like makes you feel so good Yeah. yeah
1: yeah But it has become more niche kind of where there are like, you know, in bigger cities and like I went to one in Brooklyn, actually, that was, it was really funny. It's actually a combination laundromat and pinball emporium uh, and it's got a little bar and they just serve like beer and soju. Very strange, but small place packed full of pinball machines. Very popular, but it has become more of like a hipster thing or like, you know, like what's old is new again, or like people that like vinyl records or like old school stuff. Not not to say I sound like a grandpa. Uh vinyl is obviously incredible and going through a huge resurgence and it absolutely uh objectively sounds great but there is that kind of niche like people that only want to play NES games or people that like you know insist on having a Nintendo 64 all these like old school systems pinball kind of occupies that niche and I know they still make new ones but I have a feeling it's probably much less so because you're right Ben they're very they're like clockwork you know there's all these moving parts and Mm -hmm. you have to get them serviced and you know what a nightmare that must be when you could just literally have a, a
0: firmware update
1: for your arcade machine and then you're
0: done. Have you ever seen the innards like the bat? Have you ever opened the back of a pinball machine, and seen what it looks like?
1: Oh, but it must it must just be incredibly complex. It's
0: like steampunk, man. At least based on my memories. Uh, you're you're right. It is, it has acquired a new life as a, a kind of novelty. There was for a time just this great bar that I miss here in Atlanta called Joystick. I loved it because it was this. It was this very nerdy adult moment for me when I was like, "Wow, how strange life is, from the pinball barn to the pin bar, I guess <laughs> and-
1: it's true, and if, if any listeners, I'm sure you already know about this place, but one of the coolest ones I've ever been to is in uh, Los Angeles. It's called Button Masher, oh, yeah. and they have, like, every cabinet machine you could ever think of, but also have a really, like, a whole room, I think, that's nothing but pinball machines, and um, it's, it's, it's a, quite a large place. It's, it's really cool. If you haven't been there, I recommend checking it
0: out. There's another great one in Chicago I went to a number of years ago. There's one I didn't go to in Portland, not going to name names. I I didn't go because uh, when I was in Portland, I was looking for a place to go and I saw this and I thought, oh, you know, a barcade. And uh, I started reading the reviews and they were like, watch out. This is a hub of white supremacists, which I was not expecting from a a pinball place. But, you know, you never know. Uh, If you are a pinball fan, if you are a pinball player and you want to relive those uh, glory days of winning cash and prizes in the world of pinball, then why not consider joining forces with what's called the international flipper pinball association. They're the ones who run the world pinball player ranking, which is a thing. And there's serious money here. There are almost 2000 pinball tournaments every year across the U S and they offer more than $1 million in cash and prizes. Uh as as noted by by this great article in history.com, boy, Mayor LaGuardia would be steamed about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Rolling in his grave. And if, you know, for whatever reason you you would like to do a little pinball ask gambling uh pachinko in in japan and elsewhere in in the world it's still very very popular and games like plinko that you you shoot the ball up and and it shoots up into this it's upright actually i don't know if that's what the i think probably the original pinball machines that we're talking about were still like laying out like a table but these are upright and you shoot the ball and then it or it, maybe you push a button and it drops down and then it like bing 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 bing, mm-hmm. bing makes little sounds and it goes down and then you know it lands in a certain little slot at the bottom and that's how you you make your your money. Um, Nicolas Cage actually has done a fantastic series of uh, television commercials exclusively in Japan for this uh, pachinko company called Sankyo, I believe. So if you want a, a real treat, check out Nicolas Cage's pachinko commercials. You can watch them all in like a supercut on YouTube and they're delightful.
0: And if you are in Oakland now in 2020, good news is you can play pinball. The weird news is Pinball was banned in Oakland up until like 2014. One of those dusty <laughs> on-the-books laws. That yeah, I, like I think, spitting
1: on the sidewalk or whatever. Right. It was know, like yeah.
0: owning your spouse's hair or something. I don't think anybody ever seriously enforced it. Somebody discovered it and they were like, oh, ha-ha-ha, here's our story for Slow News Day. And so there you have it, folks. Uh, pinball used to be maybe not public enemy number one, but definitely like, the rogues gallery of public enemies in the, in the moral panic fiber of the U S that's right. Uh, how far we've come.
1: How far we've come um, I really enjoyed digging into this uh, Story I didn't know any of this stuff uh, I, I always you know thought About the classic kind of greaser uh, Image and and the you know But I just thought that was just because like arcades were places That like all ages kids could hang out And skip school at or whatever mm-hmm. I, I didn't associate it much differently from like The putt-putt of our youth Etc but very interesting to know and, and another reason why the pinball museum In uh, Vegas is Probably a fascinating place because this is a game with a history um, that you can really track this attitude and the changing technology, but also the changing way that pinball was perceived.
0: Agreed. Agreed. This is a, this is a fascinating look into a, um, a, a somewhat overlooked part of American history. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please tune in for our upcoming episode, by the way, where we do something completely different Uh, no spoilers. Well, no serious spoilers, but, uh, spaghetti, not in the way you think. Definitely spaghetti. Definitely not in the way you think. Uh, thanks as always to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Uh, thanks of course, as always to Alex Williams, who composed that, uh, that slamming jam you hear at the beginning, our very own pinball theme music.
1: Exactly. Huge thanks to Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Gabe Luzier, research associate extraordinaire. Jonathan Strickland, the uh, notorious quister. I wonder if he's any good at pinball. He seems like, sure I don't know. You think, you think he's got a, a collection in his like villainous lair? I would like to think that.
0: I, I'm sure he. I'm sure he's played pinball. I, I would bet all the nickels in my house that he's done an episode on pinball for tech stuff.
1: I also would bet that all the pinball machines in his collection are uh, Shakespeare-themed.
0: Oh, boy. That's that's a lot. The taming
1: <laughs> of the shrew, the pinball machine.
0: Right. Oh, Hamlet. To tilt or not to tilt? That is the question. Uh, we also want to direct you to uh, Facebook instagram twitter where you can find our show Uh, honestly there's not a lot of gas in the uh instagram and twitter feeds of the official ridiculous historians so we like to recommend the facebook page ridiculous historians uh if you want to meet our favorite part of the show which is you and your fellow listeners uh, you can also find us as individuals that's right i am at how now noel brown exclusively on instagram and I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram, at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. I know we got to wrap up, but this is this is something I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, like, I always thought it was so unfair that pinball tables were, you know, big and clunky and expensive. It reminded me of growing up uh, when I have friends who have pool tables and they would be like, wow, you're terrible at pool. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm eight. I don't have one of these in my house. Do you ever feel that way about stuff? We had a, we had a pool table at uh in my basement at uh, my parents house and I was still pretty bad at pool I just didn't Take to the game very much.
1: What about bumper pool? Do you guys even know what that is? I don't understand. No, I don't think so. Okay,
0: I think it's 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 pool with uh with the little plastic obstacles, right?
1: I think that might be right, but there's a reason you got to hit the. It's almost like pool and pinball combined because I think you have to hit the little bumper things or something. I don't know. Let us know what bumper pool is. Um, is it snooker? Snooker is just I believe just what the Brits call pool, but I don't know. There maybe maybe it's a different style of the game, but. Um, I don't know. Let us know, folks. What is Snooker? What is uh, Bumper Pool? What kind of pinball machines do you like? What's your favorite game? We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.